You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Tim Rice. Welcome to the second episode of my new podcast, Get Onto My Cloud. Thank you for your reactions and comments about my first episode in which I investigated items on my mantelpiece. Some have suggested that for episode two, I should have a look at my sock drawer or my bathroom cabinet. I'm not sure that would be suitable, particularly in the case of the bathroom cabinet. So what I'm going to try and do in episode two is to explain how I got into musical theatre, because I'm asked the question more than any other, how do you start in musicals? And of course, there is no set way. There's no formula. There's not even a recommended way. Sometimes it can be luck or a mistake, as I feel it might well have been in my case. Possibly the only lesson you can draw from my experience is that it helps to meet the right person at the right time. Easier said than done. But I did it. On the 21st of April, 1965, I wrote a short letter to a young man I'd never met. His name had been given to me by a book publisher, but I was hopeful that we would write some songs together. The following day, he phoned me at the office, at which I was pursuing a half-hearted attempt to become a lawyer, and a day or two later, I went to his parents' flat in South Kensington to say hello. I was ushered into his room, a drawing room, a salon even, an oasis of cultured sanity, surrounded by what appeared to be a quite shambolic cluster of rooms in which the less enterprising members of the family operated. Moving from the kitchen to his parlour was an upgrade from economy to business class. Here was the largest collection of records I'd ever seen the first stereo record player and tuner I'd come across, and the astonishing evidence that a teenager existed who'd spent money on Georgian wine glasses, pictures, and furniture. His name was Andrew Lloyd Webber, and he was just 17. You know what I mean. He won a scholarship to Magdalen College, Oxford, to read history, and he had nine months to kill before going up, during which time... He intended to kill to become England's Richard Rogers. My own ambitions were just as insane. I wanted to be a pop star for all the healthy reasons, women, money, and fame. It seemed to me that plenty of other blokes around my age, 20, and not overburdened with talent, were making it, and I wished to be of their number. There were even guys from my hometown, Donovan, the Zombies, and from public school, Peter and Gordon in the charts. Surely I had the qualifications. 
The difference between Andrew and myself was that my dreams were never life or death to me, though it's easy to say that now. They might have become so had I failed. Consequently, when Andrew suggested a completely new insane ambition for me, i.e. to become the Hammerstein to his Rogers, I had no qualms about giving it a go. This was partly because within ten minutes of our introduction, he was at the piano, and he played me three or four tunes he'd composed. I could tell that he was good. Very good. I was reminded of many of the best show albums from my parents' LP collection, as he confidently bashed out selections from some of the many shows he'd written and produced at school. He needed a new lyricist for the outside world. I had very little to impress him with in return, other than instant praise for his music and a bona fide actually released seven-inch single of a song I'd written, both words and music, with which an unknown pop group had dealt the final blow to their moribund career by recording three months previously. And in fact, I played that epic track, That's My Story, at the end of the first episode of Get Onto My Cloud. Our meeting ended. We parted, promising to meet again and to write something together. I was still more interested in the charts than in the West End, but told myself on the bus back to my flat in Gunter Grove that I'd just met somebody of rare ability and determination, and I would be mad to miss out on being a sidekick to a chap who was clearly going to take musical theatre by storm, probably by next week. Back at my article clerk's desk the next day, the brief certainty I'd enjoyed of a future life in show business with Andrew Lloyd Webber had faded somewhat. So I thought I'd better continue to keep an eye on the small ads in Melody Maker for groups needing a vocalist, and I'll try and turn out a few more three-chord songs, especially tailored to not expose the limitations of my voice. But it was still odds-on that eventually I'd stagger through my exams and wind up a respectable lawyer by the time I was 25. Make that 26, as I'd already fallen at the first legal examination hurdle twice. And by then, I would surely have grown out of pop music, as my father had confidently predicted I would by the time I was 21. This was worrying. If he was right, I only had a few more months of enjoying it. But in the meantime, I felt I had nothing to lose by seeing Andrew again. It would be fun to go and see a musical with him, to write words that aped Alan J. Lerner or Michael Flanders rather than Bob Dylan or Ray Davies. And Andrew was a fascinating individual who talked of good food guides and Victorian architecture, besides supporting Leighton Orient. I wasn't convinced by the idea for a musical that Andrew had been working on for the past year, but in 1965 I was very rarely convinced about anything. Andrew's talent was beyond question, and he claimed to have all the contacts. I was soon back in his drawing room. Andrew's idea for a musical was the life of Dr. Thomas Bernardo, the 19th century philanthropist who founded the orphanages that bear his name. His story was a worthy one indeed, but not one that truly fired my imagination. The hero was too squeaky clean, at least in Andrew's version of his life, and the enterprise was unoriginal in both conception and execution. It owed far too much to Lionel Bart's Oliver, the biggest and best British musical of the time. Like Oliver, our show, The Likes of Us, was set in Victorian London, with Cockney children, well-meaning aristocrats, loose women with hearts of gold all over the shop. On the other hand, Andrew's conviction of his score's precocious brilliance was infectious and not totally unjustified. 
What did I know about musicals? I set to work with enormous enthusiasm, in particular for those songs that were intended to be funny. Andrew outlined the plot, played me the tunes, and in many instances gave me the title as well, most of which had been presumably thought up by his ex-wordsmith school pal who'd already had a go at the likes of us. My first ever effort with Andrew was a number entitled Going, Going, Gone, an auction set to music, during which the oh-so-noble Bernardo buys the Edinburgh Castle Gin Palace to house the first of the many children he's pulled in from the squalor of the London streets. An anonymous auctioneer sang the first ever Lloyd Webber Rice couplet. Here I have a lovely parrot, sound in wind and limb. I can guarantee that there is nothing wrong with him. At least it was a pure rhyme, which is more than can be said for many others in the likes of us. Here is that first song that Andrew and I ever wrote together. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to one of the most important auctions of 1866. It will dwarf all the other summer sales. We've got a lot of lots, so I won't waste any time. Fry, are you ready? Sir. Good. Lot one is a parrot, a beautiful parrot in an amazing cage. Here I have a lovely parrot sounding wind and limb. I can guarantee that there is nothing wrong with him. Pretty feathers, very clever, do I hear a call? Only 30, goodness, is that all? This parrot is a healthy bird in plumage fine and rare. Fluent in five languages and never known to swear. Going for a song! Going to that well-built lady, going, going, gone. Going, 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 gone. Going, 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 gone. Pretty feathers, very clever, going for a song. Now we have lot two, Fry. An amazing oh, chamber pot, very oh, subtly decorated. Such a grand utensil is a joy in any home. It has very many uses into which I shall not go. Brightly painted, scarlet tinted, will the bidding start? Ten! Just eleven for this work of art? Pots may come and pots may go, but this will always be strong in disposition and a cherished luxury. Going for a song, going to the chap with whiskers, going, going, gone. Going, 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 gone. Going, 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 gone. Brightly painted, scarlet tinted, going for a song. Going to the chap with whiskers, going, going, gone. Now we have lot three, you lucky people, a whole set of books from a couple of years ago. Here we have a set of books no man could value more. 37 almanacs for 1864. Bound in leather, handsome covers, do I hear a bid? 20! 30! Only 30? Well, I never did! You can learn a lot of things from almanacs like these. The rising of the sun and moon, your fate and destinies. 40! 50! 60! 80! Going for a song! Going to the chap with glasses! Going, going! And now we 
to the big item of the day. It's a building. Fry, you won't have that one. The Edinburgh Castle Gin Palace. Nothing less. Magnificent. 1,500 quid, anybody? Here we have a famous and attractive property. Well designed and strongly built, a good security. Friendly neighbours, decorated. Do I hear a price? 1,500. 1,800. This chance won't come by twice. An edifice of tasteful style and heaped in history. This building is a masterpiece, a noble sight to see. Going for a song, going to this gorgeous lady, going, going, going. 25! Going, 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 gone, from the likes of us, sung, I'm afraid, by me in 2005 at Andrew's Simonton Festival, where we staged the entire show before an extremely sophisticated audience of our pals and other theatricals. It was a great fun evening, but it showed us and the audience why the show never really worked. We were obviously very influenced in the writing of that particular song by the wonderful number Flash Bang Wallop from David Henneker's marvellous musical Half a Sixpence, which starred the great Tommy Steele. Many of the other songs in the likes of us were very derivative of recent musical successes, and I'll play you one more before the end of this podcast, which you'll be glad to hear is barely ten minutes away. The Likes of Us was by no means a complete disaster in that it attracted interest from theatrical entrepreneurs such as Ernest Hecht and music publishers such as Bob Kingston of Southern Music. Desmond Elliott, the book publisher who'd put me and Andrew together in the first place, was representing the show and he persuaded one of his new authors to write the book. That's the script between the songs. And we were thrilled to hear that this new author was Leslie Thomas, who just roared to fame with his first novel, The Virgin Soldiers. For two totally unknown and inexperienced writers, all this was no mean achievement, but a glittering first night in the West End never came near to happening. Despite the jaunty and catchy cheerfulness of the score and the skills of Leslie Thomas, the show was continually being changed and rewritten to little avail, which meant that when we eventually threw in the towel, no final book had ever been settled upon and a flowing dramatic structure was never attained. By 1967, we turned our attention to something else, and it was that something else that eventually led to the fulfilment of all our theatrical ambitions. Before I get to reminisce about the creation of Joseph, which I'm sure I'll have a go at in a future podcast, let me nip back to the likes of us. It's clear to me in retrospect that the tunes were by and large stronger than the lyrics, but we were both hampered by lack of originality in that our efforts were far too inspired and influenced by what had gone before. We wrote a song called You Can Never Make It Alone, which was a bit of a lift of my favourite things. Bernardo's girlfriend, Siri, sang 
advice to lots of little children who hung on her every word. I'm a very busy man was a Rex Harrison My Fair Lady ripoff. Bernardo had far too many big ballads in which he was alone on stage wondering where he was going, what life was all about, why were his dreams turning to dust. There were songs that were reminiscent of food, glorious food, or even Ascot Gavotte, not necessarily melodically or lyrically, but very much in style, and we hadn't found our own style. But the two or three years we spent not succeeding with the likes of us were very valuable. I think it would have been very hard for even Andrew to have succeeded without a partner, and perhaps having one who was not quite so steeped in the musical theatre tradition and expertise helped us as a team to become more distinctive and original. So I haven't really answered the question, how do you break into the musical theatre? I can hardly suggest you follow my way in and approach a book publisher about a wacky idea of a book about the pop charts, but if you're starting out and presumably reasonably young, any artistic idea that strikes you in almost any field is worth pursuing for a week or two at least. You never know where it will take you. More conventionally, I can point out that two are usually better than one, certainly at the beginning of your career. If you're convinced you are the sole genius, you can always break away later on and find out if you were. What other tips are there? Well, a live performance of almost any standard will sell a show more strongly than the most brilliant demo recording. And perhaps above all, story is king. A show with a powerful tale to tell and an average score will, by and large, be a better bet than a wonderful score wrapped around a boring story. Of course, if story and score are both terrific, then you're away to the races. With luck, you certainly need luck. And first time out, I would recommend being funny rather than angst-ridden. But that might just be me. I'll end this podcast with another song from the likes of us. And the entire show we did at Andrews Festival in 2005 is actually available as an album, a double album even, and there are 24 tracks. So it took me ages to work out which one to play. And I've decided in the end to go for the title track, The Likes of Us. This is sung by the poor children, the poor homeless children of London on the rooftops, shortly before Bernardo discovers their wretched condition. Have you seen my brother Johnny? Not since yesterday. Got me blinking rug, I need it for me bed. No one knows the lies of us are sleeping overhead. I picked up a wallet from a fancy couch today. I got four pence cleaning boots down Stepney Market Way.
likes of us from the likes of us. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Get Onto My Cloud. I hope you'll come back and listen to episode three in a week or so. Thank you very much. Get Onto My Cloud was written and presented by Tim Rice and produced by Peter Holtz. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.